Mark Waters spent two and a half years praying and at times counseling pregnant mothers outside of the Northern Illinois Women's Center before it was finally closed permanently due to countless health and safety code violations. This is his story. Throughout history, whenever great injustices existed, youth movements have risen up to combat and end those injustices. You have organizations out there like the Center for Bioethical Reform. The Center for Bioethical Reform. Canadian Center for Bioethical Reform. Organizations like the Center for Bioethical Reform to receive public funds when they then use to attack a woman's right to choose. Abortion kills all kinds of people, so then all kinds of people can join the pro-life movement to save these babies. I was talking to a young man on the streets of Toronto. I spoke with a woman named Lucy about abortion. Today we were doing choice chain in downtown Regina. By the end of the conversation, she was completely pro-life. He then walked away 100% pro-life. Completely pro-life. We should remember that each of those babies that die every day in Canada not only have the right to life that's being violated, they also have the right to artifacts. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Pro-Life Guys podcast. We will get into Mark Waters' story in just a minute as he is a guest on the program today. Before we do that, my name is Peter, host of the show, and with me again is my wonderful co-host Cameron. How are you, sir? I am doing very well, Peter. Thank you. The interns, we got two-month interns starting, so we've got a, a second wave of interns starting here in Calgary. I know you've got them as well, so I am I'm doing very well. How are you, sir? Yes, uh, excellent. I love the internships, and so when the two-month interns showed up, I was uh, I was super excited about that. I provided some training for them already, along with some of our other colleagues here. So they've they've done some time on the streets, but next week is from time of recording anyway. Next week is the real, um, you know, big start for the interns as they spend pretty much the entire week on the streets. Our guest today is Mark Waters. Let me introduce him for a moment. He's a husband and father of four who has been witnessing and sidewalk counseling outside of abortion clinics for over a decade. He currently sidewalk counsels outside the Planned Parenthood in Aurora, Illinois. He speaks regularly on the su subject of abortion and his own experience at clinics. When he's not doing these things, he's coaching every youth sport imaginable and teaching English at McHenry County College where he is the faculty representatives, representative for the Students for Life organization. He is also the author of Signs from a Peculiar Institution, One Witness's Account of a Quite Ordinary Horror and a Small Piece. And we are going to be talking to Mark Waters about his story and about his book today, Signs from a Peculiar Institution. Here's our conversation. Mark, thank you so much for taking the time and joining us today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. You bet. All right. So the majority of your book, Signs from a Peculiar Institution, describes the roughly two and a half years that you spent witnessing and praying outside of the abortion clinic, the Northern Illinois Women's Center in Rockford, Illinois. But before we dive into some of those experiences at this very pe peculiar institution, as we'll learn, could you tell us how you ended up in front of that clinic in the first place? Okay. Yeah, that... Uh... I ask myself that all the time, um, but uh, basically what happened, it was Lent 2010, and some people from my church who were part of a Respect Life ministry there, you know, suggested we go out to this place. And I've heard, you know, at the time I'd heard 
some really odd stories about it. Like one of the things that people would always uh, kind of mention is it kind of it's the sort of the hood ornament of the clinic was a crucifix in one of the higher windows that had a rubber chicken hanging by a noose um, displayed in this window. Okay, so uh, that was kind of one of the talisman of this place. It's it's little calling card, if you will. And so they say, hey, we're going to go out there. It was a 40 days for life event. Um, and uh, so, okay, great. For Lent, I'd like to do this. And then the night before, uh, that was supposed to be a Saturday. So Friday night, I get a call and uh, everybody's got conflicts and this and that. And so I'm kind of on my own. And I'm like, well, you know, I'm going. I'm going. And I'd never been out to an abortion clinic. I had very strong views about abortion. Um but I'd never kind of, you know, put my money where my mouth is on this. So I went out and it was just a wonderful presence. I mean, there must've been a hundred people there. Um, and it's, it, it's a rough area in Rockford, which I guess we'll probably hit on uh, in this discussion as we go, go on. But, um, you know, one of my hangups too was just this, this thought of well, what am I supposed to do there? And now that I've been doing this for like 10 years, I've been sidewalk counseling for about seven. Um, people will come out and they say, you know, what do people do here? You know, and, you know, the thought of just praying the rosary, for instance, or praying on a sidewalk outside was just so foreign to me, you know. And anyway, so that was it was such a great experience. I thought, you know, I'll go again on Good Friday. So I, I thought like, oh, what a great Lent. I've done two good deeds. <laughs> So I go on Good Friday and um, they were doing the Stations of the Cross, so um, which is just a, uh, a kind of devotion where you, you, you follow Jesus on the day that he died on the cross and you kind of follow along as he it carries this cross um, and you say prayers and whatnot. And it was it was great. I, I, I thought this is wonderful. I went home. Easter was done and Lent's pretty intense for me. So when Easter comes, it's kind of like a lot comes off my shoulder. So I'm thinking, oh, this is great. I'm relaxing. Friday, I would go. Uh, Friday um, is a day that I don't have to go into work. I can work from home. So I don't get up early. You know, I relax. I don't set an alarm clock. And, well, the very next Friday, I wake up. It's pitch black. I look at the clock. It says 510. And that was the, and then there's no alarm going off, but that was the exact time I set my alarm for the week before. And without really much thought, I got up, I got ready and I just drove out to Rockford and I started, and I just kind of knew there was this urgency about the need to go out there every Friday. And that's, that's how I started going. Um, and how I stayed out, you know, it's funny because there are different, you know, you hear things about abortion clinics and a lot of people, um, a lot of times, even from ministers and priests and religious, they've got these kinds of um, dire stereotypes in their heads about people who go to abortion clinics and what goes on there and everybody's screaming murder and it's very hostile. Well, that's not what I found. Now, I've seen those people. They just don't last that long. You know, it's, I think it's tough to keep up that kind of hostility and that, that sort of venting and that, uh, 
yeah, that, that, that animosity for long, the people I, that really struck me were these people who, you know, were there with a, with a, with a living faith, people who would kneel on the ground and pray for an hour and a half, you know, people who, uh, would offer their homes to women, you know, uh, who would sit out there and take every kind of verbal abuse. Um, and, uh, so those people, this kind of living faith were what I, I think without even me thinking about this, without doing any calculus calculations on this, they were the people I saw who revealed a, a totally different kind of faith than I'd ever seen before. Mm-hmm. So that's what got me into it. Gotcha. That that makes sense. I've had the the wonderful opportunity to to volunteer with Forty Days for Life groups across Canada and joining for their their campaigns to different abortion facilities and. And for a lot of people, this is something like you mentioned that that is just kind of a whether it's during Lent or, or many, many groups that I've worked with. It's been in September as well, doing two a year kind of thing. And a lot of people obviously right. have difficulty motivating themselves to get out there, especially if it's raining, especially if it's a long haul getting out there. I mean, it's tricky enough for some people to, to go out if, if it's only a 10 minute drive for them. And yet you talk about through your book how. This abortion facility um, in Rockford, Illinois, this, this is like an hour drive from your house. You're waking up at five o'clock in the morning on your days off and going year round. This isn't just a Lenten penance sort of thing. This, this is year round sort of thing. Share with us a little bit about what kept you going week after week after week. Um, you, you talk about how there, there's hurdles at times um, to, to getting out there, extra cold, extra dark in the winter, all that kind of thing. I mean, Illinois isn't known for its its balmy weather, especially through the winter. <laughs> and so share a little bit about what kept you going right. so consistently for those two and a half years there. And then I know that you've been involved in, in other clinics after that. We'll get into that as well. But yeah, share about that. Um, you know, yeah, I've, I've, I've often thought about the difference between, okay, well, if I lived close to a clinic and, and going versus the drive, but the drive in a way is a, a time of reflection and definitely a time of prayer. You know, you, you prepare yourself. It, this is, this is a tough, it is, it's a tough gig. You know, you're going out there. It's a hostile audience. This is absolutely the worst neighborhood I've, I've ever been in. You know, I mean, there were, you know, in the movies, I've seen prostitutes, women portraying prostitutes approach cars. Here you could see it. First time I ever in my life saw an actual prostitute and one approaching a car is like right across the street from this place. Um, in the book, I talk about a, a, a pimp and a prostitute, and it was pointed out to me who they were. Um, and I kind of describe that in the book go up to the police to, you know, cause they're, they live in the neighborhood, they're going to make a report. So it, it, I, I don't want to like present this with a halo around it like this. Oh, I just had this euphoric feeling all the time. You know, um, I was in ecstasy when I was there, it was difficult, but you know, um, going back and forth, driving an hour actually helped me first prepare and then kind of come down from that. You know, um, it's, which is, can be difficult. You know, I, um, I've been to Haiti a couple times and when you go to Haiti, I mean, that's a, it's not only a third world country, but it is, it's brutal. I mean, the roads themselves look like the surface of the moon and the, you know, the shanties, the, the shacks that people are living in and 
And then you come back and you're supposed to live a normal life, right? You're supposed to like think like, oh, you know what? Which, which one of my thousand TV channels do I want to watch? Um, oh, you know, what, what, what do I want for dinner tonight? Honey, what are my options? You know, uh, you know, there it's like they're, they're lucky if they get a meal. And so, you know, how do you go from one to the other? Well, it I, actually the drive kind of helps me come down and, and kind of recenter and refocus, you know? Um, and so, but I, I do want to, I want to say this about going on. I was just talking to this, uh, this young friend of mine, she's in her early twenties and she's, she's a great, uh, faithful Christian and she's really getting going in pro-life ministries. And she's, she was expressing to me, she just can't get any young men, even ones who are in her pro-life group to come out with her. Okay. And she's so charming. You'd think like, gosh, I, I think you'd have 10 guys following you out to this place, you know, but, um, I understand that. I mean, I, I get it. But I, the encouragement I would I would give to people is that it kind of goes with what Abby Johnson, okay, has confirmed many times. And that is that just being there, having people clearly there witnessing to this, you don't have to be the sidewalk counselor. You don't have to be stepping in the gap all the time. You know, you don't have to know what to say or go there you know what? Bring your Bible, open it up to a passage that you think is relevant, and you just start reading this and offer it as a prayer. Give it as an offering. And I'm telling you that matters. Um, Abby Johnson is telling you that Planned Parenthood knows that that matters, you know. So, and I've, we've had, I mean, at both places. So I've been at Rockford, the book's about that. I go to the Planned Parenthood in Aurora, Illinois, which is by volume of abortions is the third biggest abortion facility in the United States. Okay. So, um, I mean, I've, I've have had people say, you know, you, because you were here or because I saw somebody out here, like I, I couldn't do this. Didn't say anything to them. I didn't have some magic words for them, but just that presence, God can use that. And I don't know if I actually answered your question. No, no, I, I think that makes complete sense. And I think that that, that knowledge that, that, I mean, there, I would argue, I, I mean, I've done so many different forms of pro-life outreach and there more than any, you see just how much this is out of our hands and in the Lord's hands, right? That, that this isn't up to us in the in incredibly profound words that we're conveying or anything like that, but rather this is in God's hands and we are being that witness, that presence there so that they know that there's another option. You talk at length in your book about the role of the the free mobile ultrasound unit and whatnot. We'll get into a few of those experiences and and factors about sure. um, about your time there. And I know that Peter wants to dive in with, with a, a couple of questions about those experiences, but yeah, I think that makes complete sense. What keeps you going, knowing not only your own kind of presence and and knowing that you're having an impact, but also like just in my own experience, knowing the goodness of God that that like me just standing here with a sign, not interacting with anybody and seeing somebody turn around, like like that's so beautiful. It's so heartbreaking to see the people who don't turn around, but it's also so beautiful to see those that do. But Peter, I'll let you jump in there with with a question about the experience here. Yeah, you, you reminded me of something, Mark, that uh, a friend of ours, John Barrows, who ministers outside of 
of, of an abortion clinic in Orlando said, he said, very similar. It's amazing what God will do if you just show up. Um, <laughs> right. And, and that's, Amen. that's something we've heard from people who minister outside of abortion clinics. That's something we see on the streets, um, for, you know, here in Canada, uh, just talking to high school students and university students, um, you know, going out, having those conversations is amazing. What will happen, um, you know, when we take that leap of faith and jump out. Now, I'd like to dive into your experiences a little bit uh, in front of the clinic. Yeah. One of the one of the uh, I, I guess the the things that the, the, the media and the pro-abortion uh, industry tries to tell us is that abortion is, you know, it's a ster- sterile, it's hygienic. You know, there's really nothing, uh, un- nothing noteworthy um, about the experience of mothers. You know, they're just faced with pregnancy, challenging pregnancies and uh, abortion is, is one medical procedure among many. Now, was this your experience as well, uh, that abortion is just, you know, the sterile, hygienic, clean thing? Um, Was this something you experienced as well as you witnessed hundreds of people coming to abort their children at the Northern Illinois Women's Center? Well, first of all, you know, my my immediate and direct and pervasive experience was outside the clinic. Okay, so when you when you come up to this place and, and, and of course, right, any business, right, any sound business is trying to really manicure that first impression, right? Because what they see on the outside is what they're going to assume is going on on the inside, right? They're going to they're gonna connect those intuitively. We all understand it. We are all in some way capitalists, right? We understand how businesses work this way, okay? So when you go there, it's the exact opposite, right? So on the cover of the book, for instance, I've shown pictures, first of all, of the clinic itself, which is a, at the time, was a 112-year-old former school building, okay? It said 1898 on the front. It used to be called Turner Turner School. And um, it was in, you know, I don't want to say complete disrepair, but from the outside, it looked like something that homeless people would be squatting in during the winter. The, The... I have many pictures of the windows that are like the original windows, right? Or, or at least uh, maybe if not the original windows, the frames are original. These old calcified, you know, uh, windows uh, with some with blinds in them, um, some with masks in them. There was like a Satan, a devil's mask in one of them. Um, I, I, there were numerous rubber chickens and nooses. There were, um, these other signs that were so belligerent and obscene that, that by the way, all the customers would have to see these things too. This wasn't just like what I was seeing. And things like abortion removes parasites. Some of them I can't read. You know, they're just obscene. Bed bugs in motorhome. Um, save your mother from the wrath of God. Exorcism removes demons. Rubber chickens can convert to rubber chickens convert to voodoo um there were things um you know there was a picture of jesus with his middle finger up that said even jesus hates you and remember the clients are seeing this okay what when um what had happened too in this story uh i don't know how much it i don't all of this is not in the book but um what had happened is uh, somebody complained about seeing rats outside of this place okay, to the health department. And so they did an inspection. 
and they cited them um, for several violations, which they, you know, sort of begrudgingly um, fixed. But one of the requirements is that they had to have a fire inspection or uh, I'm sorry, a fire drill. They had to have a fire drill. And during the fire drill afterwards, they had to say how, um, who participated and if this were if this constituted all their employees. So on the form, they put they put all their employees. They said, yes, all the employees were there. Well, they didn't have some of the required personnel. And this is what got things going. And when the when the Department of Public Health finally um, went in there. I mean, the place was an absolute mess. There were there was crusted blood. I mean, they called it a brown substance, but it was clearly crusted blood on surgical gloves. Um, all you know, in, in both of the surgical rooms where they did the abortions. And by the way, this was a place that only did abortions. That's all they did. Um, and um, the uh, autoclave machine. Okay, so the autoclave machine is a machine that's. Uh, that's used in medicine to sterilize equipment. Okay, now, you know, if you know anything about abortion, you can imagine where the equipment's going here. Well, by state law in Illinois, that has to be inspected. They have to run an inspection. The machine has to be able to run an inspection once every week, so 52 times a year. So according to the employees um, and reported on the Illinois Depo Department of Public Health records, um, they only did it four times a year. And out of those four times, it only passed twice. So they're using a faulty, a machine that's supposed to sterilize, that's not sterilizing properly. Um, and the sad thing about it is that the local newspaper, the Rockford Register Star, even though these were public records, refused to print any of this. So this place did not close immediately after that. So this was, they were still open, operating this way with a kind of impunity, I suppose. And um, we, I mean, we had, we were made, we made signs, professionally made signs that we were posting on the outside to warn people going in, but the newspaper wasn't saying anything to anyone. No newspaper in Illinois was reporting this. Um, and so, you know, it's funny because I had really never seen the inside of this place until recently. Um, apparently, shortly after it closed, they um, they applied for the building applied for historic building status, and so they published, you know, the the document, the application for this. Um, I found online. I wasn't looking for it. I just happened to find it, and they have all these pictures from inside the old school, right? So the clinic. And they even have a picture with all the abortion equipment. And for some reason, they decided to submit this for this application for historic status. I, it was it was frightening. Um, there were some other interesting pictures in there. But um, yeah, it and, and by the way, when you look inside this building, it looks like a 112-year-old school building that nobody's done anything with. So no, it's... It, there's nothing about it that suggests safety, cleanliness, the, the, the basic, just the basic um, professionalism of the medical field. Nothing. Mm -hmm. Nothing. Mm -hmm. I, you, you're so descriptive in your book. Again, um, the book uh, signs from a 
peculiar institution, one witness's account of a quite ordinary horror, um, describing your experience at, at this Rockford abortion facility. Um, two questions that I'd, I'd love to ask that are, are on very differing ends of the spectrum. And I'm glad that you mentioned just how appalling the conditions outside and, and every all the news about it, the, the report that came out about the health and safety stuff. You you go into such vivid detail in the book, and, and it's so good for people to be aware of because, yeah, Peter, like you mentioned, the, the media is all too happy to find the the nicest looking abortion facility and present that on on the cover of any any story that they're covering um, but you mark you mentioned the signs and and obviously signs are an integral part of your your story talking about these quite outlandish signs that are so so often being shared I, I think of a, a display that I was doing in Lethbridge in in Canada here we were doing a display on campus and and the people holding the sign had, had misspelled the word propaganda, and they said, "Say no to pro panda." And and one of my colleagues went over there and asked, "Like, why are you why are you against pandas?" Um, and and the guy was completely perplexed, and because he didn't know that he had spelled propaganda wrong. But without, I, I know that you get into some very very good and very interesting detail in your book about your interactions with um, those advocating in favor of abortion. But there's a theme that I found very very interesting that I think it's important for especially pro-lifers to be aware of, that so often those who support abortion are characterized as pro-choice. Pro-choice trying to give the full spectrum of choices to anybody who's experiencing a challenging pregnancy. And yet oh, yeah, your yeah. experience was very much mm. the opposite of this, that, that those who were advocating in favor of the clinic, in favor of abortion, they weren't presenting a, a plethora of choices or trying to encourage the the mothers who are coming in here to really evaluate their different choices. Maybe share a little bit about your experiences and, and what you saw with regards to really how really anti-choice those people were in how they funneled people towards receiving abortions as quickly as possible. You know, you said something earlier, too, that reminded me of this. I think what most people who either are indifferent towards this, don't bother, or who actually support it, right, either in idea or action, what overwhelmingly, I think, what they know about abortion amounts to PR and marketing, you know. And so, um, you know, when I went out there, I guess I... I didn't think too much about what to expect as far as where people were coming from. I mean, I was learning all of this, but um, there was such basically the 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 owner or so the the owner of the building. Just to kind of clarify this for people for this discussion, there was a there, a gentleman named <laughs> there was a man named Wayne Webster who owned this building, and he rented space to the clinic, um, which was owned by a doctor and who, uh, Dennis Christensen and who hired another doctor, Stuart Kearns to work there. And, um, Webster was also hired to do what he called security, which pretty much amounted to trying to mock, harass, run, uh, the people, people like me, people there, you know, trying to, I don't know, maybe be a little encouraging to women to offer them some option to tell them, to tell the basic, to reach out basically as a human being and say, we'll help you. We'll help you. Maybe nobody else in your life has stepped up at all 
or maybe they're badgering you to be here. And that's, that's something to get into too. But, um, we will, we will help you like the, and, and, and you don't have to, you don't have to figure this out by yourself. This has been figured out. We've helped women many, many times in all kinds of circumstances. Right. Um, and by the way, a few of our, the women who used to come out there regularly had had abortions. One of them had one in this building, you know, and now they, okay, they, Obviously, they're, through their experience, they've had kind of a conversion and they understand things. But um, so, so some of the things like Wayne would do is if, if somebody would stop their car, right? So basically how it was set up is there was a sidewalk in front of this place and there was a little driveway. And so we'd stand on the sidewalk because that was public property and we could stand there and we try to flag cars down. And if they stopped, you know, we we would try to listen to them. We'd tell them what was available. We'd give them some information. Well, Wayne, oftentimes, either if he was outside or inside, he would, he would get in the middle of that conversation. So if he was inside, he'd see you on camera and he'd go through his PA system. And he would always say the same thing, driver, you're blocking my driveway, my driveway, right? Move your car. And I, one thing I could never understand is after this hostility, these people would just kind of cow and they crawl into this place. They wouldn't leave. I mean, what if, if they said that to you at McDonald's, <laughs> you wouldn't go into McDonald's. You'd say, I'm going to Burger King. <laughs> you know, you'd, you'd go somewhere else, you know, but that's not what, that's not what, you know, people who are going for an abortion to do the thing that most of them know isn't right to begin with. Have had to convince themselves to do this. Like they're not in that space. They don't have that kind of um, that 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 strength and that dignity to say, no, no, I deserve better than this. And so, by the way, so you notice. Then what happens, I think, is that the the businesses sink to the level of the clientele. So first of all, they're pushing them down to begin with, and then if the clients expect less and less, then um, they'll give you less and less. There was a there was a woman. Uh, she was walking into the plant. Now this is to shift gears. Planned Parenthood in Aurora. Young woman, twenty, looked delightful. She was wearing um, scrubs, like nurses' scrubs. She might have worked in a doctor's office, you know. And she was going in, and I thought, like, oh, is, is this like? Sometimes they're they're people who get there early because they're. Um, They've got some other business with the place. They're they're selling supplies. They're they're in some kind of medical field. So I I just said, hey, listen. Um, I introduced myself and I said, you know, when you come out, why don't we talk? And so she did. You know, and she she came over, um, and you know, she was gonna tell me. I think she was gonna kind of defend this place because I you know I was going into my pitch and what they do here, and and I said, you know. I said, we talked to an employee recently who quit this place. And by the way, I get there before I get to that Planned Parenthood before any employees get there. I pray over all of them as they come in. And I started noticing about six years ago that they had a turnover rate of about eight to 10 employees a month, which is about a third of their staff, which doesn't tell me right that that's a good business. And so Maddie, this one, this one former employee, she told us that um, she, her and another woman, they just couldn't take it. They left together. They just walked out. She said that they refer to the women who go there as the cattle line, the cattle line. 
And so I tell this to this woman that I'm talking to now who was there. She said she was there for, she gets a prescription written here. She goes somewhere else to fill it. And she was about, she said, oh, you know, I was about to, she admitted, I was about to defend this place. But she said, the last time I was here, um, right in front of me, they were kind of reprimanding this, this young woman because she didn't have enough money for anesthesia. And they told her, well, that's tough. You're just going to have to get this without anesthesia. So, um, you know, why people would, you know, that tells you where they're at with this. And when, when I'm outside, you know, when I'm outside of the Planned Parenthood, it's no different than being outside in Rockford. It's like, there are people who will shout, they will scream, they will do anything to prevent you from talking to somebody. Um, I don't understand that, you know, but it's not because they're really pro-choice. And I've told them that I, I, I will have very sober and patient conversations with people and just say, can you just explain to me how it is you're pro-choice, but I'm not when I'm actually here trying to empower people to know what their options are, options are. I'm not taking money from them. Um, people like me are are offering our homes, we're offering our time, we're offering our patience, you know, our minds, our hearts, our bodies, our souls for this cause. But like, you know, you don't, you don't really want choice if it's not abortion, you know, and, and that's, you know, I don't know, I guess it would be slightly encouraging if I encountered even anybody who was out there and, and, said, you know, I, 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 I would love it. I want what she wants, not what I want, not what this business is going to make money off of, but what she wants, not what her husband is threatening her to do, right? Not what her boss is telling her, not, not the threats she's getting from her boss, either explicit or implicit, but what she wants. I would be slightly encouraged. I just have never found that. Mm -hmm. I, I haven't found that. Yeah. And, and you go into such good detail in your book about so many different examples that show you that very narrow-minded mindset of, of making sure that women are getting abortions, not to mention you, you go into very good detail in the last day that the clinic was open and how they pumped through something like 40 or, or a, a, a very high number of mothers having abortions in such a small amount of time that it, it equaled down to like 13 minutes per abortion or something like that where, and, and you go into this detail of like, yeah. how are you possibly supposed to counsel this mother? If abortion is a, a decision between a mother and, and her doctor, how can you possibly facilitate that in that kind of a, a cattle shoot system where you just punch people through? One other question, though, I, and I know that we could go into so much depth about the darkness of these abortion facilities and whatnot, but let's let's steer the my last question on kind of your experience before Peter jumps back in is about I, I don't know if it's quite the bright side of an abortion clinic because it's not the not the bright side, but the people, the people that you're there with who are advocating for life, you you share a lot of very very beautiful anecdotes of interacting with the different people who join you on the sidewalks every Friday. Um, Maybe, maybe just share um, some experiences or thoughts about those people that you really forged friendships with while you were at the abortion facility and what that was like building that pro-life community amongst people who are desperately trying to protect these pre-born children and their mothers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, God, there's, there's a lot. 
there's really a lot to say there. Um, two of the people that I met initially that I could kind of tell um, just by the way they carried themselves that, okay, they, they're very familiar here. They, um, they, they have a purpose here. Um, one of them was Kevin Rylett. And Kevin, um, when I started, I, maybe the first conversation I had with him, I asked him uh, how long he'd been coming out here. And that place was open. It was only open twice a week, but he would come out both days. And if anybody was probably responsible for any level of organization on among pro-lifers, it was Kevin for sure. And so, um, and he was, a, he was from Rockford. He lived there. Uh, he taught at St. Bernadette's school at the time, uh, which has since closed, unfortunately. But um, he, he said he'd been coming out there for 14 years, you know, and, and, I mean, the idea of me being out there for 14 days was like, it weighed on me. I mean, just coming out there was such a psychological and, and spiritual um, movement, you know, that was just, there was, there was a lot that needed to happen for that to go on. And this guy had been doing it for 14 years. And I, I was like, I think in the book, I say something like they sound, it sounds like they're doing a sentence in eons. You know, and then so and the other person was Mary Jane Stephan. And Mary Jane Stephan just turned 80. I just talked to her. She called me to talk about the book. And she said something really interesting when I talked to her recently. She said, I don't want the book to end. She says, it's like saying ending the book is like saying goodbye to an old friend. And and you know, and that's it. It's like when, when the place finally closed about six months later, we were all at another, uh, like a face the truth tour. I, do, are you guys familiar with face the truth? Probably. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So we, we did a face the truth in Rockford and, um, which we'd all done before together. And so they, uh, then there was a luncheon afterwards. So we all go there and, um, we all talked about how there was a weird kind of depression. Maybe that's too strong of a word, but not having this to do, even though we all wanted that place closed, this wasn't some morbid desire to like go back to this horror, you know, but it, it was really about these friends that you've made in Jesus, this, this God bond, you know, Jesus, in, in the last prayer, you know, that long extended prayer, uh, you know, at the Last Supper where he's talking to his father and he says, Father, keep, keep these men, keep them one as you and I are one. It's like, <laughs> that's what he does here. Like he is creating a one, he's creating a church. You know, Eric Scheidler who I've become friends with because he's out in Aurora. Okay. I mean, I, I'd met him before that and his father, Joe, the, the great, late, great Joe Scheidler, you know, um, uh, you know, Eric, Eric said this one thing one time, which is so true. And I, I, I love to share it. And that is out at the abortion clinic, like the ones I've been at the one, uh, so many others, I'm sure. 
there truly is a Christian ethos. It's not, it's not a bunch of Catholics out there. It's not a bunch of Presbyterians. It's not a bunch of Methodists. It's like a Christian ethos. People, you know, Jesus, Jesus says it one, a couple times, quite clearly. Um, whoever does the will of my father is my mother and my brother. You know, and it's like, here, these are people doing the will of the father. In the letter of St. James, it says, you know, um, you know, I'll show you my faith through my works, right? That these things are connected. They're not, they're not separate, you know? And so coming out here, you're seeing this living faith. You're, it's palpable. It's real. It's not, it's not a service followed by donuts. It's, it's people out there suffering. You know, you mentioned early on the climate. Well, now I've discovered these uh, one wonder, wonderful little hot hand hand warmers that I can load into my, <laughs> into my gloves. I did not have, I did not know about those. I would, I would be agonizingly cold. And I have right now, right now my hands are cold. Like I have, like, I do not have good circulation in my, my extremities. Don't know why, but it would, that it was brutal. And so that, that's kind of a motif in the book too, that, you know, and it becomes an emblem of the kind of, you know, the spiritual journey and the, and some of, some of our spiritual journeys, right. They're just, they're difficult. They're walking through that desert, you know? So again, um, I don't know how far we got away from your question, but. No, no, that's good. I, I like what you were saying uh, about the friendships that formed. I think anyone that's listening to this, who has been in the battle fighting, um, you know, against the evil of abortion, whether it be we run some internships here uh, in, in Canada, but even, you know, around the world fighting against the evil of abortion and doing it with some, you know, some like-minded pro-lifers, I, I think everyone can relate to the, the friendships that build and the bonds that form in the midst of those difficulties and those hardships. And, and those are bonds and those are friendships that last, uh, that last a lifetime. I mean, those are, those are good friendships. And I know, Mark, you know, you, you highlight a lot of things in your book. There are a lot more experiences that we could touch on. Um, but uh, but we, we will be recommending your book to people putting the, the link to it in the show notes. Um, but one of the things we want to do on the podcast as we you know, slowly start to wrap up, one of the things we try to do is emphasize the importance of pro-lifers telling their own story. And we do this because for far too long, the pro-abortion media, pro-abortion industry has been telling you know, the entire world what the pro-lifers are like, what pro-life experiences are like, and what pro-life heroes are like. And, and in many cases, the stories that they tell are actually not correct, right? They don't align with the experiences that we as pro-lifers actually have, the friendships we actually form, and, and the things that actually happen while we're doing the ministry that we're doing. So tell us about why you thought it was important to write this book, to share the experiences that you had in front of this clinic. And uh, yeah, just, just talk to us about, you know, wh why, why this book is out there, why you made it. Well, I think the very first, it started as uh, like a journal. And my very first journal entry is like the first vignette in here. There's like a, there's like a kind of a, an intro and then there's like, it kind of jumps into basically the journal. And, you know, for people out there, uh, most of the entries are dated. I think they all are, actually. Um, and, it, you know, and there's an existential reality to that, right? You know, you, you, you were just talking, Peter, about how 
there are these different narratives out there. Um, one of the narratives that ne almost never gets out there is that um, this happens to real people. This isn't an idea. I'm a, I'm a college professor and I I'm surrounded by colleagues who love the idea of abortion. It's like as an idea, it's like, you know, you should come out with me. You should check this out. You should see what your idea is on the ground when people are walking, you know, through the mud of abortion, what, what this really is. Um, so, you know, I didn't go out there to write a, a, a book. I didn't go out there to write a journal. So the first entry just says, I've been coming out here for five weeks now. And it, that always struck me. It's like, yeah, you know, I, I wasn't I wasn't there to write, even though I'm an English teacher. You know, I, I teach writing. Things were just so beyond belief, beyond my powers to exaggerate or embellish. Now, there's this thing about nonfiction versus fiction. And the funny thing about fiction, even though you think, ah, oh, you can write anything you want in fiction. Well, if you're writing, all fiction is kind of stuck in its own rules. Okay, so if I'm writing a fantasy novel, I can't suddenly have a character that's breaking all the rules I've set up in my fantasy world, right? If I'm writing realis realistic fiction, I can't just have, uh, I can't have characters doing things beyond what people would reasonably expect. But in nonfiction, I just write what I see. I write what actually is going on. And I'm telling you, it's, it's far worse than anybody could imagine beyond these convenient Nice, again, PR and marketing narratives, right? The Cecile Richards coming out uh, on, the, on the, the, the stage of the DNC in 2016, right? Uh, you know, Barbie's mother, you know, all made up and polished and looking great. Like, that's not what's going on. That's not, that's not really what's happening. So what, what I did when I wrote this book, I wasn't trying to do what Abby Johnson did. I wasn't trying to do what Father Frank Pavone did. I wasn't really trying to do what a lot of these other great, great books were doing. We're talking about pro-life arguments, and which we, we need. We need to know this. We need to know how to handle I love your, your show, by the way, because it actually deals with specific ones. And by the way, some of the ones I've obsessed over for years, the violinist bit, right, uh, being one of them. And, um, but I wrote this because when you actually see, when you get out of the way, and you just put a camera on this and you show sort of a written camera, camera of the word, and you show what's going on here. The, the notions of choice and in female empowerment start to blow up. So one day I'm sitting there, right? And uh, I'm on the sidewalk and praying and this, these people didn't park in the parking lot. They parked somewhere down the street. So they're walking to the clinic, to this towards to the Nywick. Um, this, uh, it's a young woman who looks like she's college age. And then there's a, a man, probably your dad, who's about six foot four, at least 250 pounds, big guy. And she starts to say something, this young, this young woman. And he, in the most guttural tones you could imagine, just said, shut the F up. Of course, it wasn't F, right? And guess what she did? She, she shut the F up, right? Um, I don't know. You might have to bleep that out of your show. I don't know. But, um, there, you know, there's no choice there. 
there's no, there's no choice. We're not looking at um, empowerment. We're not looking at healthcare at this place. So I wanted to just like, hey, this is what's happening. This is what's really happening. Sometimes people will stop even now and they'll, they'll want to argue with me. And they'll say, one guy said one time, why are you out here harassing women? So I kept asking him questions like, why do you think this? But I didn't say much. And then finally I had to leave. And so I said, you know, um, you're clearly misinformed about what I do here. So here's my sincere invitation. I'm out here on these Fridays at this time. Why don't you just come out and stand with me and see what I do? You know, and that's about as honest as I can be about it and about as straightforward. And so that with the book, that's what I was trying to do. Gotcha. And I'm so glad that you did that because it, it shares such a vivid experience of somebody who who went to their local abortion, like it, it's shoes that a lot of people can try on sort of thing and, and share a common experience. We we recently did an interview with Lila Rose and, and talking about some of her investigative journalism. And obviously, I hope that many of the listeners are familiar with, with the incredible work that people like David Daleiden do. But obviously, the, the response from the pro-abortion media is often, okay, sure, you pick the worst possible place and like, you're going to try to condemn the, the entire industry over Kermit Gosnell, like, like, this is few and far between. And yet sharing your story, we see that, sure, you're, you may not be trying to paint with broad strokes on every single abortion facility is like this, but by a pro-lifer like you eloquently telling the story of this is what I experienced. This was my local abortion facility and this is what happened. I think that's so vital for people to be aware of. And as we start wrapping up here, I'd love to to just get a little bit more on where do people find the book? Where can people find out more about the ministry that you're continuing to do? I know that you are now um, helping out, like you said, at at the Aurora Abortion Facility. Where can people find the book and how can people get involved in doing similar kinds of witnessing as to what you're doing right now, I suppose? Okay, so um, in in order there, uh, they can find the book on Amazon. So they have to, they have to search me. So Mark Waters, um, if you put in signs and signs from a peculiar institution, either way, you should be able to, to find it. Um, and you can get it, you know, there's an electronic version or there's a print version. Um, most people buy the print version, which I would recommend. Um, and, uh, I mean, I like a good book, you know, in my hands, but, uh, you know, as, as far as getting involved, you know, let me let me say this. Uh, I think that's a, like such a common question, uh, and not just about this ministry, but a lot of about a lot of other ministries. Um, do what God's putting in front of you. Joe um, Joe Scheidler said this. He said, "Do one pro life thing every day." Okay. So, hey, say a prayer. Are, are you doing a spiritual adoption? Right. You know, um, are you in other words, are you praying for an unborn child like year round? You know, so me and my youngest son and one of my daughters, we do that. Um, you know, I have other pro-life prayers I do every day. Um, are you learning a little bit about this? OK. And this I'd really like to say this one thing. Monica Miller. Now, I'm sure you're familiar with her. OK, so Dr. Monica Miller. Um, I heard her talking. I've actually met her, but um, 
I heard her saying something in an interview on the radio one time. She said, if this is going to end, it's going to be through the church. Okay. Now, I'm wrapping my head around that for years. Okay. And, and the thing, from my experience, what I would add to this is, and that's really going to be with the domestic church. So, um, if for people who don't know what that means, like in your home, you as a mom and a dad, and by the way, you as a teenager who needs to convert your mom and dad, right? Or, or whatever, right? We, this needs to start in the home. I mean, I've had, I've had a discussion with this girl and it, like, I wanted to pull my hair out because she's, she's telling me how Catholic her mom is. And her mom says, it's okay to go into this Planned Parenthood. She claims not for an abortion. Everyone there lies to me. So I don't know. And my daughter, I'll tell you this story. It was like fourth or fifth grade. She's standing out at recess and girls in her school at recess will just kind of stand with some friends and they'll do a lot of talking most often. And so she's talking and some girl, like a fourth or fifth grade girl, right, is starts somehow bringing up abortion, a woman's right to choose. And, you know, sometimes it's just the only option. So she's going into all the platitudes, right, of abortion. And my, my daughter, May, who I've not run through all the different abortion arguments and the nuances, she just said, but it's a baby. And the girl stopped. She didn't expect that. She kind of redoubled her efforts and came back. And my daughter just said, again, but it's a baby. And, 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 and her reaction, by the way, reminded me of Rockford. She just started screaming, stop touching me. Stop grabbing me. This is this was her react to get the attention. I, I kid you not. I can't make this up to get the attention of the um, volunteer, you know, the, the kind of the adults that supervise the, the recess because she just wanted to get out of it. She did, that girl didn't know what to do. But, you know, my, my daughter, it wasn't like she out sat there with in a polemical sense, arguing back. She just said one basic truth that she knew that had been confirmed by her mom and her dad, right? And her God, that life is precious. It's made in the image and likeness of God. You cannot kill a baby and call it good. So, hey, there's a ministry right in your home, brothers and sisters. I can't do much. By the way, you know, if anybody who's listening to this or, or uh, you know, Peter and Cam, both of you understand this. By the time somebody gets to an abortion clinic for an abortion, it's tough to talk to them. You know, it's tough to change a mind. You know, it's the grace of God at that point. Um, so what's going on in your home is so paramount, you know, before they ever get there. That that's key, and I, I I thank you for bringing that up. That as as parents, uh, as families, we need to raise our children to respect and defend life. Um, but then you also highlighted the importance of not only the importance of, of ministries in front of the clinics, but also you know engaging with the culture prior to that. You know that that eleventh hour ministry is important, but there are so many opportunities for us to reach people before they make that decision and before they end up in front of the abortion clinic. Uh, we are, so you said uh, we're, we can find your book on Amazon. We are, we, we're going to put a link in the show notes as well. So if anyone's interested, uh, there is a link to the, the book on Amazon in our show notes. Mark, thank you so much for taking the time and joining us today. 
man, this was, this was a good time. You know, um, it's, it's always wonderful to talk to people who, uh, who get it. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you. You know, thank you really for having me on. I appreciate it. And by the way, just a, one last thing. Um, I don't make any money from this. I charged as little as Amazon would let me for the, for the, the, the for both versions of the book. They've sent me, I think $13, um, in, in royalties so far, which I gave to the pro-life action league. Actually, I gave the pro-life action league like $50, you know, um, I, I don't want to make money at this. People make money killing baby. I'm not going to make money trying to do God's will in this, it, you know, as it, it, best as I can. But just so people know, this is, I'm not promoting this book. I'm promoting life brothers and sisters. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. Thank you for that. And thank you for your ministry, sir. Yeah. Thanks, guys. That was Mark Waters. As we promised, we will put the link to his book, which you can find on Amazon, in the description. So if you're interested in checking it out, and we, we encourage you to do so, the Amazon link is in the, the, the show notes that we have here, whether you're, whether you're watching on YouTube or listening on your podcast catcher. Cam, I'm, I'm just curious, you know, what are some thoughts you have and, and maybe some final words as we wrap this episode up? Yeah. So initially, big shout out to to Right to Life Illinois, who are the ones that reached out to us and said, "Hey, um, this this fellow Mark Waters, Dr. Mark Waters, um, is connected with our organization. I think you should check out his book." I'm always a little bit apprehensive when people send me um, kind of self published books, almost and whatnot, because. Uh, it, it's difficult to know what to expect, but I was incredibly impressed with the book, and and I found this interview incredibly fascinating. I think that Mark Waters has a a very interesting story, and I think that a lot of people who have spent time outside of abortion facilities can relate to at least some of the experiences that he's had. And so I think it's really neat if you haven't been outside of an abortion facility to pray, to counsel. We've had several different ministries come on, whether it's Love Life Ministries, whether it's 40 Days for Life, even if you just go out on your own, as Dr. Mark Waters was doing. Um, it's absolutely valuable, absolutely incredible to be out there. It can be very discouraging. It can be very challenging. Um, but we need more people who are there holding people back from being dragged to the slaughter. So absolutely that. One other thing, Peter, that I'll mention um, just in closing here is our Patreon. I know that we've been shouting out our Patreon for like the last year and we've had limited stuff on our Patreon, but that is all about to change very soon. I have an order for mugs that is on its way to Calgary here. We have five or six other items that we are getting shipped here. We should have a store up on our website, ProLifeGuys.com, relatively shortly. We're really excited about this. We know um, from a lot of feedback that you've given us, either on social media or to the website, that you are interested in having some ProLife Guys merch. We're super, super excited about it. Another shout out to Maddie Halleck, who's done a ton of the design along with his buddy Nick. Um, and so we're really excited about it. So check out our Patreon. You can find it patreon.com slash prolifeguys. Um, you can find different levels on there and you can find more stuff on our website coming up shortly here. Beauty. Thank you, sir. And as always, we love to hear from you. We love when our listeners reach out to us with perhaps questions or comments or whatever it might be. You can do that um, on the contact form on our website, prolifeguys.com. You can do that by finding us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or wherever you do your social media. We're probably there. Uh, or by uh, by sending us a comment or a message if, if messaging is possible on YouTube. But we are on YouTube as well. So we love hearing from you. Do reach out to us. And we want to thank you so much for once again listening to our episode, listening to this conversation that we had with Dr. Mark Waters. 
We hope you enjoyed it, and we hope you tune in again next time. God bless you all.